0: time for the outspoken cyclist your weekly conversation about bicycles cyclists trails travel advocacy the bike industry and much much more you can subscribe to our weekly podcast at outspokencyclist.com or through your favorite podcasting app to listen anytime now here's your host diane jenks
1: Hello and welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks, and This is our show for December 4th, 2021. Did you miss me last week? Well, I missed you. And I have two great guests for you this week, so let's get to it. When your work and your reality start to clash, what do you do? In the case of marketing expert Tom Flood, he followed reality and has found himself a wanted man wanted for lectures and ideas and advocacy. In his previous life, Tom worked in marketing for an ad agency, creating content for some car manufacturers. He was also commuting to and from work by bike. Then he started taking his son to school. And from the perspective of his bike saddle, he began to see the absurdity of our car-centric culture and what it has done to discourage any other types of transportation especially biking and walking. Tom's response? Counterattack. We'll talk to Tom in a moment. After our break, it's a chat with bicycle retailer, contributing writer Mark Sani, about e-bikes. They really are taking the world by storm, and People for Bikes conducted a short summit, bringing in a wide variety of folks to talk about how e-bikes are impacting the bike industry, and some of the pitfalls that seem to be arising for which there are no Concrete Remedies. Mark penned an article for the November 22nd issue that broke down the People for Bike Summit, and I wanted to pick his brain for the show this week. Mark will be with me in the second half of the show. So in my conversation with marketing and cycling advocate Tom Flood, I jump up on my soapbox for a moment to voice both frustration and resignation about the lack of a cohesive way of getting biking and walking across to the people who need to hear it not those of us who already do. Tom is one of the first people who not only gets it, but is actually doing something about it. It's a refreshing look at what might be in the offing. Hi, Tom, welcome to the Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for being my guest this week.
2: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: I see a piano behind you. There is a
2: piano, um, I am not very, very good at the piano, but I, I I, try.
1: Okay, that's good. We have one here, but I don't play at all. It's my husband's. Uh, okay. Anyway, I would like you to give my listeners like Cliff's notes about your background. You started out very differently from where you are now. Yeah, so
2: I I don't come from a, a transportation background or an, or an advocacy background or any sort of in really involvement in, in local municipal affairs at all. I come from the marketing world. So I spent many years working in advertising on the agency side and kind of worked my way through some, some different clients on the, on the client services and, and strategy side and ended up actually working on some different auto auto accounts. So working on the kind of corporate branding and positioning of the vehicles uh, was really where i kind of worked for for a number of years and it was, it was it's pretty funny and it's, a, it's really a, a powerful testament to to sometimes how this auto culture has a hold on us because i was you know biking to and from work this is in toronto at the time you know, dodging drivers and and danger getting to this job and then spending, you know, 10 hours a day or 12 hours a day developing content and creative and strategy on the very thing I was battling uh, to go to work, but I didn't see it. So it's something I always try to remember um, when speaking to people that may have not had their necessarily awakening to our streets. So that's kind of where I come from, the marketing world. And then I ended up in this space just out of complete randomness and taking my kids to school for the first time and really seeing it through their eyes.
1: And so you no longer do the marketing stuff.
2: I, I still work in marketing. Uh, I don't work at an agency. I kind of do freelance things. Um, and that's kind of my still my day job. So that's that's still what I do.
1: Okay. But that is not your other job.
2: <laughs> that That's right.
1: Clearly. One of the things that I saw, and there, are, uh, there's a lot on your website, and we'll talk about your website toward the end of our conversation. Uh, one of the things that I saw is that you kind of take auto ads and do some interesting tweaking to them. You know, we're all up to our ears in automobile ads, especially here in the States. I know you're in Canada, but oh my goodness, you know, every commercial is like five commercials for cars. So. Yeah what you're doing is might be considered irreverent considering the space you came from, but I also think it's awesome. Tell us what you're doing and how you're being involved in this new sort of vision of cars and bikes.
2: Yeah. I, yeah, again, my involvement really came from taking my kids out to school for the first time and and truly seeing our shared spaces through their eyes and through their perspective um and 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 to me what really stuck was just how absurd it was on the streets for for people outside of the car to move around and that really stuck with me and i couldn't i truly couldn't believe that one that this was okay with everybody and accepted and i say everybody i don't mean it of course there's tons of people that are working in this space but generally you know our, our cities were okay with this absurdity on the streets and not only were they okay with it they would defend and protect it to keep the status quo that was so dangerous. And that really stuck with me. of just, I could, and again, as someone that came not from this space at all, I was just trying to get my kids to school. It's like, this is, this is completely absurd. And I use that word a lot because it's really what stuck with me. So I, I started sharing my frustrations like everybody else does on social media and kind of, it was a creative outlet for me to, to vent. And I just really wanted to, somehow highlight how ridiculous the situation was in in something as simple that should be as simple as walking or biking your kids to school so that's really where this kind of all started and it just kind of snowballed into getting involved in some more spaces of of writing and and speaking and, and and really connecting with lots of other really really smart people that I can learn from because again it's not you know this—the transportation and advocacy and Vision Zero—is not my background. I was—I always try to tell people that I speak through this, through just my personal experience of, you know, having a bit of background in marketing when it comes to develop, developing content, but really just a parent that wanted to get their kids to school.
1: Let me uh, reintroduce you. We're speaking with Tom Flood. He is a marketing guy who taking his kids to school figured out how screwed up <laughs> biking and walking are when you're on the streets and that that is i mean we talk about this all the time uh, the way i found you was through my friend dr tab combs she's been on the show and she's one of what i would call a new vision planner you know as opposed to the old style more roads more bridges more roads oh wait more roads more bridges wider roads so what's been the response to some of these sort of irreverent things you're saying and doing
2: I, generally it's been fairly positive. It's not really all the, always the case, but I, I generally try to position things, not always, but in a way that is not trying to preach to people that haven't had their awakening. It's more trying to just let, um, let say, for example, visuals just show the imbalance and and how ridiculous it is, ridiculous it is. I try not to, and this is not always the case again, but I try not to always talk at uh, people when 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 developing creative content for for clients specifically, just letting the streets and our spaces do the talking for themselves and put, highlight situations that we can all hopefully relate to and, and and kind of, you know, draw back the veil of how absurd these faces are.
1: Are you seeing any changes based on some of the things you're doing? Are people responding in a way that they're saying, well, I'm going to start taking my kids to school. I'm going to ride my bike more. I'm going to become involved in fill in the blank.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've heard those, those comments before that people have you know, had minor awakenings. I don't want to attribute it all to what I'm doing by any means. To me, it's it's really about the, the long game. We're, you know, we're going up against 100 years of auto advertising and, and this kind of toxic narrative that's been going on and, you know, accelerated in the last 30 years to a degree that you touched on earlier, where every other ad is a, is an auto ad. So we've got this incredibly uphill battle that we're we're fighting against. So to me, what, I'm trying to add as my small little piece to this larger Complete Streets safety puzzle is trying to just shift the narrative and, and the framing of who people outside the car are to try to to, to, to find those commonalities with the people we need to reach. That, that's really what I'm kind of doing at this point.
1: Do you see any way for advertising and marketing to use the resources of the bike ped uh, transportation world and create ads that not just counter cars but that show another perspective on a broader scale i mean everything we see seems to be really targeted at the people who already know about it so how do you bring it into i guess my real question is how do we bring this vision this marketing idea into a broader uh, context of everybody watches TV, so why aren't they seeing ads that would work opposite cars?
2: Yeah, no, it's it's a great question, and you know the the one the one quick answer is obviously the the budget is our big restriction at this point. But the idea of forming alliances and councils of, of various groups and organizations is something that's extremely intriguing and something that. A gentleman in the uk named adam tranter has done very well for his bike is best campaign so he, they've been able to get um pretty great cycling type messaging and some of them being quite subversive as well into the mainstream as in billboards and on television so that's something that i think is a really good avenue to go down and to communicate and start highlighting who people outside the car actually are which you know is obviously everybody that moment they step outside of the car, contrary to popular belief.
1: (laughs) All right. I have, I have a kind of weird question. Is it true? Your Twitter account was suspended.
2: It is true. It was suspended. And (laughs) so I was told it was under copyright, um, which I'm not sure if it's because of some of the splicing of things that I've done previously of different ads or some of the content in them. Anyways, I've asked them multiple times because I wouldn't don't really want that to happen again. And I still haven't got a response to say this is what triggered that. So if I ever do hear it, I will let you know.
1: <laughs> do you have more suspicion about what might be the underlying cause? Do you think the automobile people are going, wait a minute? I mean, that's a big lobby. That's a big lobby that you go up against.
2: You know what? If I, See, I don't, I don't necessarily think I, I wish. Well, I don't wish, but I think that's a great story, but I don't think that's Accurate. If anything, it could be it could be an, an upset um, internet troll that wanted to, you know, flag something. If anything, nice. That's what that's that's what my that's what I really think.
1: Well, as a marketing person, and I haven't thought about this much, but I, I, since I've got you, I'm going to uh, pick your brain a little bit. We look at social media. My niece is trying to get me involved in TikTok, saying, "Oh no, it's the next big thing." I've been podcasting for 11 years, and I'm looking at it, saying, "Well, now there are." tens of thousands of podcasts. Are you seeing a marketing trend that maybe biking and walking and that kind of interest in transportation could go to as something that would be really attractive to the people who need to hear it?
2: Yeah, absolutely, is the short answer from my, my perspective. It's about But it's about selling it to the people that don't know that yet. And so I think a great example I can even use myself is that I was like I said at the beginning, I was I was cycling to work in these ridiculous conditions and going to a job where I was then, you know, promoting the very thing I was battling and I didn't realize it. So it's something a lot of people haven't had that awakening where they a lot of people don't know what they're missing. And I know I didn't, which is is crazy because I was in that space. So I think there's absolutely the people don't know what what they don't have, I think, at this point. And it's about promoting that idea and doing that. But again, it's, it's, it's getting into that mainstream and trying to communicate these messages and highlight the realities of people outside of the car, not just these, you know, old outdated tropes that we continually see, just about showing the realities of what could be and what our spaces could be if we gave them back to people.
1: Yeah. So the question becomes, how do you do that? And what are the media that you would use? I mean, obviously, whoever this gentleman and I want to get his name from you, who's doing the bike bike is best in the UK is using television and billboards seems to me, even though it sounds like quote unquote, old style for uh, maybe the young people who are doing TikTok and, and whatever else they're doing these days. Um, Maybe it's still the right way to get the message across well t- t- yeah, I mean to i
2: mean that's a that's a great example that's a big win because that's that is uh, and that's not the only spaces there any either I think they're they're everywhere, but I think about having those resources and when I say resources, I mean dollars to fund media campaigns that you can get into all those spaces where people actually live again the the autos have had limit unlimited budget for so long and are in every single square inch of the public space. So to, to me, it's about pooling our resources and pooling our collective and creative ideas together. And yeah, you know, and developing a, a campaign that can start, at least start to get into the 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 hearts and minds of people because again it's not going to be an overnight situation awareness campaigns are are never that way it's 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 the longer game despite the fact that we need it to be a short game because of all the violence that happens on our streets every day and the lives that it steals from so many people um there are impactful things we can do right away and there are some things that we have to consider for the longer game because of what we're up against
1: well This is going to sound really strange, and it makes me laugh when I think about it, even though it probably should make me cry. When I first got into the bike business in the 1970s, early 80s, I went to the industry and said, we need to have a campaign that includes everybody in the industry, not just racing, not just touring, not just commuting, not just BMX, cycling for life. And I said at the time you might remember this, the heard it on the grapevine using the the raisins campaign or the got milk campaign. Those were what yeah. were going on then. I'm like, we need a campaign like that. And you know what? They laughed. And here we are, 40 years later, saying the same damn thing and still yeah. not getting what we need. Resources and funding and really clever campaigns that that catch the not only the vision, but the hearts and souls of the people who need to hear them and see them. So thank you, but I'm not sure how we're going to move it forward. How? So, okay, what are you working on now? What's your next, quote unquote, big thing?
2: Um, well, right now I'm, yeah, and again, I ended up in this space <laughs> quite randomly. So I'm preparing a bunch of lectures for the winter and spring, and as well as some workshops, one being with um, Dr. Combs down in North Carolina. I'm working on a few campaigns for some smaller organizations right now, developing creative that I can't really talk about and there's one thing that's kind of recently popped up very recently that I'm excited about but I can't say anything about okay. it either. So there's a few things that's going on right now and um it's it's an ex- I'm very excited to be um able to work a little bit in this space and I'm very, you know, appreciative of all the people that have um, included me in this conversation because I know how how tireless so many people work including yourself and have been doing this for so so long um you know and i just want to make sure i constantly tip my hat to the people that have been doing this and working working so so hard so
1: well so i'm going to reserve the right to come back to you when some of this stuff starts to come to fruition and we'll talk about it again how can listeners find out more about your work and watch for some of these new ideas and campaigns
2: Um, So you can find me on Twitter at Tom Flood, one, numerically, and then on my website, which is creative by Rovelo, which is R-O-V-E-L-O.com.
1: Tom Flood, what an interesting conversation. And what I really like is that you're coming at it from a totally different perspective than we usually talk with and about. And so um, I'm, you know, I love marketing. I think it's such a cool thing. I just don't like what the bike industry has been doing with it. I think there's a lot more we can do. I hope you have a great holiday season. I do want to talk with you again, and I will be watching some of your lectures and your uh, your workshops, and maybe I'll get to one. I would love to do that.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much.
1: All right. You have a, a great new year. Thank you. Tom Flood joined me from his office outside of Toronto. If you would like to see more of his work and watch his videos, log on to creativebyrovello.com. We'll catch up with him again in the future. And we've posted a link to both the website and to one of his really fun videos on our website, outspokencyclist.com. So let's take a break. And when we return, we'll speak with Mark Sani about e-bikes and their impact on the bicycle industry. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. Bicycle crash is not an accident. And when you find yourself in a situation that calls for experienced, effective, and positive legal support and advocacy, you can depend on any of North America's independent bike law members. Bike law's cycling attorneys are members of our community committed to the pursuit of cycling safety and justice. For more information about bike law, Log on to BikeLaw.com. They're on your left, protecting your rights. We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm Diane Jenks. Dana Point, California warns e-bike riders to slow down as you come into the community, which begs the question, how many people are riding e-bikes and why are they going so fast? Those were just a couple of the things brought out in the conversation I had with Mark Sani from Bicycle Retailer. Mark penned a great article on November 22nd reporting on the e-bike summit that People for Bikes held the previous week. Mark and I break down what was discussed at the summit, answer a few questions, ask a few more questions, and still haven't come to a lot of concrete conclusions about many of them. Hi, Mark. Welcome back to The Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for being my guest this week. How are you? I'm fine. And you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Did you have a nice Thanksgiving?
3: Yes, I did.
1: Good. Did you eat turkey?
3: Uh, No, I don't really care for turkey. I ignored it. I what went you for have lasagna eat? instead.
1: Lasagna? Yeah. Oh, that actually sounds pretty good. Yeah, my yeah. husband doesn't care for turkey too much either, but we yeah, have turkey. Yeah, it's always dry. <laughs> Depends on who's cooking it. All right, I guess we should talk about what's going on, because uh, the industry is—it has this e-bike thing happening, and I sometimes feel like there's a lot of pushback about it, But it's like, you can't ignore it anymore. I can remember years and years and years ago talking to Ed Benjamin. I'm like, you're just nuts. What is this e-bike thing? But today, it's a real thing. And did you attend this People for Bikes conference, this e-bike summit? Yes, I did. Okay, that's what I want to break down today. So you wrote that piece in Bicycle Retailer, November 22nd, about the summit. And I wanted to expand on some of the areas you covered, especially where it comes to kids training, and uh, the industry, which is, which is really having a rough time with it. Let's talk about the kids. Um, kids are the future of bicycles. You know, everybody starts out as a kid riding a bike, and we want to keep them in the sport. So what's happening? The kids are latching on to e-bikes. First of all, where are they getting the money for e-bikes? They're not cheap.
3: Well, I don't have any definitive data on where they're getting the money. I suspect it's mom and dad's credit card. Um, and or mom or dad uh, going down to buy one for them, or moms and dads who already have one and want one for their kids. So, where they get them, uh, it's hard to say. I uh, wrote a column oh, some issues back. I had been in Southern California and I was observing the e bike scene there, and uh, the number of teens and tweens on e bikes just startled me. This is down in the Dana Point San Clemente area, which is kind of a bellwether area for trends. And the number of kids riding e-bikes was just astounding. Uh, Almost all of them were uh, bought online, Rad Power and various other kinds of uh, bikes. Um, But they were like running around in packs. It was so bad that the city of Dana Point, and there was a photo of it somewhere, uh, had put up a sign warning e-bike riders to slow down, very much like you might see a sign uh, entering uh, a community that just warns drivers to slow down. But they were they were everywhere, and um, they were doing all sorts of crazy things with them. It was fun to watch.
1: Were they were they riding them on the streets? Oh yeah. What would you say the age range of these kids was?
3: Oh, I'd say, uh, you know, 12 to, uh, 12 to 16, 12 to 18, you know, the, the tween and teen years, primarily. Wow. That was just an observation. There's no data to back that up, although the city of Dana Point seems concerned about how they're being used. And of course, it wasn't too far from there that that woman actually it was right near Dana Point uh, that was killed here not too long ago when her a cargo bike uh, went over the side and she tumbled into some, uh, some rocks and uh, died along her, her two kids were injured. So, you know, there's a lot of, lot of stuff going on out there.
1: No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. So one of the things you sort of stressed and maybe it came up at the, at the summit was that kids need to be taught some rules, like how to, how to ride bikes. They need some skills. They need some training. It is not, Forthcoming. What was what was talked about in terms of getting education to these kids, either by manufacturers to dealers or dealers to the consumer or online videos? What what kinds of things were they talking about?
3: Well, the summit was quite broad based, so there, they weren't really delving delving into solutions for these. They were identifying issues, um, and training, of course, was one of them. And I, I will say, Don DeCastanz at Pedigo made a fairly impassioned plea to you know particularly at the retail level to have programs that uh, can better train not just kids but even adults on how to use these e-bikes people for bikes has a video that they're making available for you know safety reasons and that sort of thing but i'm not sure what its distribution is who's getting it who's seeing it and that sort of thing Um, but you know, there's some some attempts at that.
0: Hmm.
1: Let me reintroduce you. We're speaking with Mark Sani. He is a writer for he used, he used to be the editor, publisher, the big poo yes. at Bicycle Retailer and Industry News. Uh, and one of the founders, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And now?
3: Now I'm a contributor and, uh, and uh, you know, industry gadfly, let's just say. <laughs>
1: Yeah, me too. Uh, so so I guess I have an interest in this idea of getting people on e-bikes safely and wondering if any conversation came about besides this video that PFB is is you know putting I imagine it's on their website ahead. I, I didn't look. I should have, but I didn't. And uh, Don De Costanza's Pedego, right? Correct. Yeah. So he makes e-bikes or his company makes e-bikes and is he saying he can put together some idea of training or is he asking for somebody else to do it?
3: Well, I mean, he, he, he was saying simply that his stores, and I, I forget, he has 140, 150 franchised operations uh, and he's um, going to try and institute uh, a program whereby his retailers will offer customers uh, you know, um, a session of training getting them used to what an e-bike is, how to operate it and that sort of thing. Uh, he thinks that's fairly essential to the, to the long-term success of his, his business. And certainly he sees that as something the industry should embrace as well. As he pointed out, and as I mentioned in my article, a lot of adults haven't been on a bike, particularly those who go to Pettico, they tend to be quite a bit older. Um, at least that's my observation. I haven't been on a bike in a long time. So e-bikes, particularly with a throttle, you know, uh, a, li- a little a little, uh, training, uh, a little introduction is probably a damn good thing.
1: Yeah, I would think so. We have this conversation. My husband and I, Brian and I, have this conversation periodically. He, he recently had really good customers, good riders. They're tandem riders. They're single riders, bought e-bikes. They're older. They're in their, I, I'll bet they're in their early 70s now. Late 60s, early 70s. And they said the same thing. There is nothing out there that gives them some of the information they would like about how to safely ride an e bike, which brings me to something I don't know if they talked about at PFB, but, or at the, at the summit. I guess it was people for bikes. And that is talking about etiquette on trails and e bikes and how much more crowded trails are these days because of this kind of COVID bicycle explosion did they talk about that at all about
3: not really but you know let's let's be honest here an e-bike going 20 miles an hour on a uh, on a multi-use path is not uncommon of course i can do 20 miles an hour on a bike path uh, on, a, on a on a regular bike uh, the only difference being that the e-bike is uh, considerably heavier So, you know, this speed thing, I think, uh, is overwrought. I've seen much bad behavior uh, by cyclists on multi-use bike paths, uh, riding conventional bikes. So um, let's just call it out for what it is. Uh, You know, it's up to the individual to control their speed and be be cognizant of what they're doing on some of these particularly uh, multi-use bike paths. Uh, of which there are many more than just single-use bicycle paths.
1: Right. So bad behavior is just bad behavior, and get it. Yeah, together. and it
3: doesn't really matter. I mean, getting clocked by a somebody on a conventional bike at twenty miles an hour uh, is is pretty dangerous. Uh, getting clocked by one on an e-bike is slightly more dangerous <laughs> just because <laughs> of weight. Uh, so. Uh, but you know, we we like to talk about this, but you can have rules, but there are no there. There's no enforcement. Well, that's true. So you know, uh, you can have all these rules uh, about speed and control and what have you, but there's absolutely no enforcement. Uh, if somebody does get hurt, at least there's a rule there that might give them a leg up in a court case. But uh, by and large, uh, enforcement of what goes on on multi multi use bike paths and stuff it's almost non-existent
1: so this that brings up another question which i had for you and it was about the conversation that may have been had about emergency rooms classifying e-bike crashes differently from non-assisted crashes and that is they're categorizing them as motorcycle crashes so what's up with that well i
3: nobody at the conference really knew that it was um Oh, gosh, I forget his name off the top of my head. It was the researcher from the University of Tennessee. And if you'll give me a second, I've got his name right here. Uh, Chris uh, Chris Cherry brought it up. Uh, he's an engineer uh, there at the college. And uh, he said, by the way, uh, you know, these are not classified as bicycle accidents. Typically, in the emergency room, they're classified as motorcycle accidents. Uh, they're making some efforts to change that those are federal guidelines that emergency rooms are supposed to fill out so that they have some data um, but it's it's a longer it's a longer process and uh, but uh, even Larry peasy uh, cracked me up Larry you know Larry is the uh, CEO of uh, Alta he you would think he would have known that he's been involved with e-bikes for 20 Forever. years plus right uh, but he didn't. So, you know, there's these, uh, there's these little uh, uh, oddities lurking out there uh, in the e-bike world.
1: I don't know how much was discussed from the dealer's point of view about, like, selling and servicing e-bikes, but there is some chatter about batteries exploding and people not knowing how to perhaps sell and service e-bikes. Is there any training coming from people like Pedego? Or Trek or Specialized, people who actually are putting e-bikes into their main lines of bikes, are they offering anything different for e-bikes than they did for their non-assisted bikes?
3: I really can't answer that specifically. Um, I'm sure there's some, you know, minor, you know, instruction when you buy a a, a level or what have you at uh, uh, one of the main line things, but uh, the discussion really was more about, you know, battery safety, um, and uh, Mike Fritz uh, from Human Powered Solutions uh, offered a fairly good uh, summation of that, as did uh, a gentleman from uh, Underwriters Laboratory. And I think the takeaway is that, um, generally speaking, if you're going to charge your e-bike, you charge it while you're around in case something did happen. Uh, don't leave it uh, charging overnight, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Now, Mike uh, did point out that you know battery explosions in these, particularly in main mainline IBD level bikes, are fairly rare. Uh, it's much more common in the uh, lower price point online bikes, but even then, it's still somewhat rare. But when one of those batteries cooks, uh, <laughs> it can burn down a house uh, rather quickly, uh, you know, because of the intense amount of heat. Um, they both uh, pointed out that uh, coming down the pike will be solid state uh, lithium ion batteries, which will solve m- many of those problems. But in the meantime, it, uh, it's incumbent upon people who are charging their e-bikes to pay attention to them while they're charging.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Just, just as
3: a safety precaution. But I'm not sure that... Uh, Dealers are warning their customers to do that. I, I really don't know. It'd actually, be a good story to check out.
1: Uh, yeah, I I agree. So the last thing uh, I'd like to know is: Did they come to any kinds of conclusions at this summit? Was there anything that they wrapped it up with to say, "Listen, dealers, listen, people who are involved in this part of the industry, uh, you need to be paying attention to this, and this is the future."
3: Well, they weren't really uh, the the whole the whole uh, summit really wasn't focused on dealer issues primarily. It was really to gain some scope on what what we need to know. And I think Claudia Wasco from uh, Bosch fairly well summed it up. We just don't have the kind of data that you can get in the European Union on not only e bike usage, e bike sales, uh, you know, power uh, allowed per e bike. Uh, you know torque all those sorts of things uh it's pretty much of a free-for-all here in the u.s um, which should come as no surprise to anybody right um it so, is the u.s
1: uh, after all we, we
3: and so uh, again um the industry needs a little bit more baseline information uh, i think it was uh, interesting to note that um Larry and several others seem to have settled on about a million e-bikes are being sold online um, um, to consumers, while the IBD market is somewhere around 300,000 units, which sounds like a lot. But when the when you look at the fact that the IBDs typically are selling somewhere around three million units of all bikes, it's still a it's still a a smaller proportion. I also found it interesting, but again, if you follow any of this, it should come as no surprise that E-mountain bikes uh, really lead the pack in terms of cost. And um, I do find it interesting that the industry seems to be pushing E-mountain bikes far harder than they're pushing uh, hybrids or commuter bikes or cargo bikes, even for that matter.
1: Don't you... Think if we think back over the last, let's say, 30 years, 25 years, we've both been around that long, that the industry in general will push what it wants to sell, looking not looking at the real market. So the real market right now, to me, I mean, they've always sort of given short shrift to commuters and touring, which is a huge market. If you look at how many bicycle touring companies are out there and, you know, focusing on the Peloton, gravel and mountain bike racing, downhill, if, if that's what it is. So uh, that doesn't surprise me even a little bit. It is disappointing yet again.
3: Well, I was at Sea Otter, which, by the way, turned out to be quite a good event.
1: Oh, good. Uh, I was supposed to be there, but I chickened out on the airplane.
3: Yeah, yeah I drove. Uh, it's a long drive from here. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the predominance of e-mountain bikes uh, at Sea Otter Again, to me, is a, uh, a signal of where the industry sees you know heavier profits or better profits and margins than on commuter bikes. Uh, Beno bikes was there with their with their touring bikes, uh, e-powered, and uh, they seem to have attracted a fairly um, good number of uh, customers to check them out. But really, um, you know, it's still um, high-end mountain e and conventional uh and well that's just the way it is and now that sea otter uh, did a great e-, e mountain bike race which i watched it's amazing how fast those things can go uphill when you're really well trained <laughs> <laughs> so at any anyway, rate i mean you know you you have to look at what is and not what you want it to be or wish it to be uh and uh, so you know that's that's the way it is it's not that like they're not selling commuter e-bikes. It's just not what they're advertising.
1: Yeah. So it's it, that's that sort of goes to my point of. Yeah. Here's what we want to sell you. Yes, we have this, but look at this. You know, this yeah, is the yeah. shiny object syndrome, right? And that has never changed. No, no, because it's the bike industry after all. Well,
3: yeah. and I we're not really that. in the business of. Uh, selling advocacy anyway who are we kidding
1: so sad mark well i
3: mean you know no it's true it's It's, true it's pretty true i mean if you're a dealer and a a customer comes in he wants an e-mountain bike you're not going to show him a lower priced uh, vado from specialized which is truly a great community (laughs) right right Uh, you know you're going to sell him what he wants or she wants and, and that's just the way life is
1: it Let's is go. indeed. Well, I appreciate you taking time to uh, break down that summit. We've been speaking with Mark Sani from Bicycle Retailer and Industry News. If you are interested in the article, it's from November 22nd. It will be posted on our website as a link, OutspokenCyclist.com. And uh, I know you said you were going to go skiing. You got you got snow out there in Colorado.
3: Well, I'm in New Mexico oh. and it's pretty skimpy here.
1: Are you in New Mexico? I didn't know I'm that. I'm in Santa Fe. Oh, don't start. I would love to be in Santa Fe instead of gray Cleveland.
3: I've been here. I moved to New Mexico uh, the first time around in 1979. So I've I've been in this area for a long time.
1: Yeah, we've only I've only been there once, but I'd love to come back. We're supposed to go out to Sedona next year. So we'll we'll. uh, Well, if you're
3: going to Sedona,
1: drop by. We will do that. Mark, thank you so much. I hope you have a great holiday and uh, we'll talk again. Okay. All right. Mark Sani joined me from his home in Santa Fe. Lucky guy. We talked about e-bikes and their impact on the bicycle industry, among a few other things. If you'd like to read the article, there is a link to it on our website, OutspokenCyclist.com. You can also find a link to the People for Bikes video as well. My thanks to Mark and to Tom Flood for joining me this week. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with a brand new show. In the meantime, subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already done that. It's available on almost every podcast app. Check out our blog at OutspokenCyclist.com, where you can find links and photos as well as a synopsis for each episode. I hope you have a great week. Stay safe, stay well, and remember, There is always time for a ride. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for joining us today on The Outspoken Cyclist with Diane Jenks. We welcome your thoughts and contributions on our Facebook page. Or visit OutspokenCyclist.com to leave a comment on any episode. We will be back next week with new guests, topics, conversations, and news in the world of cycling. Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of DBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland, a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening. Ride safely, and we'll see you next week.